Good morning. How are you doing today? Everybody doing well today? Yeah, praise God for the change in weather. Uh, and, but I'm grateful that he's constant in his love for us. It's a big day uh, for any of us that are alive. We get to spend another day with Jesus. It's been a great week in the Brown household. Uh, this today is our son Josh's last Sunday with us here at Grace Community. He's been with us uh, our whole lives. <laughs> but he's been at Grace here for almost 26 years. And he has served a lot of those years. He's getting married next Saturday. And we're excited about that. We'll be down in Zionsville for his wedding. And, but he's served many levels here. I uh, he served in, when he was in youth group. He served on our pursuit single ministry. He's worked on the tech team since high school. When he could drive, he drove here in the mornings and came in at 6, 7 a.m. to serve. And I'm used to seeing him up there, and he's up there now, Josh. Bless you, man. Looking forward and thankful for all your service to Grace Community Church. Love you, bud. It's also a great weekend. Our daughter, Hannah, and our son-in-law, Johnny, were in Dominican Republic. They had a great ministry week with a team that was sent out here from Grace with the Creek Moors. And hopefully you were catching the information with that. Uh, they were to fly home last night, get in this morning, but when they flew into JFK in New York last night, the flight home was canceled, so they slept in the airport last night. That was a great evening for them. Welcome to Mission 101, huh? Uh, so we did pray for them, uh, excited. It's a good week in the, uh, the woods for the Browns. Uh, our family enjoys venison, and I was able to bag a deer, and we will enjoy the backstrap. So praise God for that. We begin a new series today in the book of Psalms. And Psalms has so much hope for us, gives us answers. And if you can see, it has P.S., a word to the wise, Today's text that we're looking at will remind us of a truth, that God is a good God. This psalm that we're looking at today has ministered to soldiers on the battlefield, has brought hope to those grieving at funerals, has brought courage in the time of darkness, has lifted people from pits of depression, has been read by even myself at bedsides and hospital rooms, and quite frankly, it's the most familiar psalm on planet earth. David, the shepherd of this psalm, reminds us of the goodness of our God and states clearly his confidence in a good shepherd. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, when you know God is good, it changes the way you respond to whatever comes your way because he's a good shepherd. Even this week, in the midst of prepping and planning and digging into this text, there were many instances where the shepherd was close to me. I received word that a close friend of mine, I spent hundreds and thousands of hours with as a teenager in my early 20s. He was a dear friend, and he would have been a Jonathan kind of friend to me. We prayed about our futures. We, we begged God to come through in big ways. We shared Christ together. Um, we outran police together. Uh, we, we did a lot of things together. In fact, we traveled one time to the state of Florida from Maryland, 1,150 miles in 12 hours and 50 minutes. You can do the math. And uh, so many good memories. But this week, a post came up on my Facebook uh, page, alumni group of class of 1980 from North Hagerstown High School, that Joey had passed away. A wave of emotion hit me. I know he knows the Lord. I know he knew the Lord. But there were some strongholds in his life that had kept him on a wayward path for a while. 
but I know he knew Jesus. And as that news came, and you see this older version of a friend in his picture, this wealth of emotion kind of burst from within, and I just sat at my desk and I cried. It was all kinds of mixed emotions of his life. But the truth of this psalm today, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have no reason to fear because God is with me. The psalm that I was preaching ministered to my very heart this week. Would you turn to a most familiar psalm that we're kicking off with and turn to Psalm chapter 23, and I ask you to stand with me as we read this psalm. Very, very familiar to you. Some of you probably have taken it to memory. If you're like me, I took it to memory in the King James, and there's been a lot of word changes along the way. But would you read it with me? Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6 together. Ready? Read. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may have a seat. There are three words that I cling to in this passage, and I want to just preface the passage with these three words that are attached together. The Lord is. Let's just pause there. It doesn't say the Lord was. It doesn't say that, that he could be. It doesn't say that the Lord will be. This little phrase, all standing by itself, reminds me and gives me great comfort that the Lord is. It's present active. So when we read the psalm, it's not like it's a past tense. This is something that took place in the past that's not applicable to the, the present or the future. It reminds me that our God is not just the God of the Bible that David writes about here, and not just the God of the past, but that God is the God of my today. And aren't you glad? He's the God of our today. The Lord is fills my heart with hope, and hopefully by the end of this message, it'll fill your heart with hope too. Not because what I've read about him, I know what he has done for me in my 59 years of life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the Lord is all these things for you and me right now. So as we read this, this is now. This, yes, it was past, and yes, it will be future, but he'll minister to you right now with these truths. David, the author, has learned these truths in the pasture. He was a shepherd with his own sheep. And so as he uses the imagery of the Lord as our shepherd, he was a shepherd too. Shepherds' jobs weren't highly sought after. They were the bottom rung jobs. In fact, they often went unfilled because no one wanted to be a shepherd. The pasture, however, is God's laboratory for forming us into the men and women he created us to be. We can only learn some things when we're in the pasture alone with the sheep while God is with us. David knew the ins and outs of shepherding. So as he writes the psalm, there's a direct connection between sheep and the sheep that he had. Shepherd and the shepherd he was and the shepherd that he had. And so he knows these truths about sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. We are sheep. 
and we can be dumb. I often say this in, in a fun way. I, I say, I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid. Sheep are dumb animals. They can't defend themselves. They have no defense mechanism at all. So when a predator comes, if there's not a shepherd there to ward them off, they die quickly. And that's why you'll have sheep dogs along with shepherds. There is a pasture that's on County Road 21 that's just north of our house. And every single day as I go by, there's a sheepdog that's there. If that sheepdog wasn't there, then these sheep would literally let coyotes walk up to them, say hi, and then they would eat them. They are dumb animals. They have no defense mechanism at all. They can't run fast. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a sheep run. And they're prone to wander from the pack. They are even known to drown themselves while drinking water. Very true. A sheep is so dumb that it realizes it's thirsty that even during this time, they will go to a brook of water. They will go to a body of water. They are so thirsty that they just keep drinking the water, trying to satisfy their thirst, and they drown themselves drinking. Sheep are dumb. And David is using the analogy that we are sheep. We need a shepherd that'll come alongside and say, hey, pull your head out of the water before you drown yourself. He knows a lot about sheep. There are even cases where sheep have insects that burr their way up into the nostrils and they bury themselves in and sheep don't know how to even blow out their nose to push the insects out. There are infections that sheep get from insects burying themselves in their nose. They constantly need the attention of their shepherd or they will die. David knows this. And so as he writes this psalm, he's using these images. David personalizes the psalm, and this is fascinating to me. It's the first I noticed this. I've memorized the psalm, but I've never collected in this way and torn it down. He uses the first pronoun, I, me, and my, 17 times in this passage. The Lord is not just a shepherd, but my shepherd. Let me show you how often he refers and personalizes that. Look what it says in verse one. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the Lord is not just a shepherd, but he's saying he's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. He doesn't refer to him in the past or refer to him as someone that's way out there. He personalizes and brings it home, and it begs an answer to this question that I have for you today. Do you know him the way that I know him? You see, even knowing that my childhood friend died this week and the wealth of emotion and tears that overcame me in that moment, there was this God who walked into my office and just brought this comfort that only he could bring in an unusual way. You see, you know why? Because he's my shepherd. And I lack nothing because he is with 
me. We lack nothing. It's an incredible promise to us as Christ followers. We lack nothing and we have everything that we need. One translation says, I shall not want. Context is important too. David is talking about when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the dark valley and in the presence of our enemies that we lack nothing we need. What does that mean to us today? Because he is our shepherd. When you walk through difficult days, when you get a bad report from the doctor, when divorce papers are handed to you, when sickness out of nowhere lands on your family, when grief from a lost one wants to overwhelm you, when this addiction comes charging back into your life, when you have a busted up relationship and you wonder, can I go on? When a financial burden weighs heavy on your business or your personal checkbook, when you have poor health or uncertain times, when you venture out to a new place, when you have moments of despair, the Lord will meet you in the mess and give you what you need when your own strength is stripped away. The Lord is your shepherd and you will lack nothing because he is your shepherd. When fear, worry, and fretting are knocking on the door of your heart because of decisions that you and your husband have made to take people into your home, and you wonder, how can I do this? God opens the door of your heart and the shepherd walks in with peace and comfort and courage and confidence. In the middle of the heartbreak, the Lord is your shepherd. David is reminded of this as he writes this psalm. Think of all the times he had to snuff out a beast trying to kill one of his own sheep. Think about all his moments of obscurity when he wondered, God, does anyone know what I'm doing? God, does anyone see me? I'm out here in the pasture, the lowest rung on the employment list. I'm being faithful to you. I'm working as though I'm working for the Lord. He is faithful to you when you wonder as a single mom, God, do you even see me? I've been faithful to our kids and I'm working a job and trying to make it. When, when, when you're all alone and, and, and by yourself in obscurity and you wonder, God, do you see my faithfulness? Listen to me, God sees it and he meets you in the mess. David knew it in his times of loneliness and monotony. And even his own battle with Saul chasing him down to kill him and his encounter with Goliath. This man knows that the Lord is his shepherd. What often gets lost in this psalm is the fact that David was a faithful shepherd. And God knew it. When no one else did, his own brothers could care less. His dad just sent him out. He even lifted his own sons and brothers, David's brothers, up higher than him. God made sure he selected the right person to fight Goliath. 
Now listen, it wasn't because his brothers wanted him to. It wasn't because his dad believed in him. It was because he was honoring God in the monotony. He was honoring God in the loneliness. He was honoring God in his obscurity, and he wondered, God, do you see me? You see, God honors those that honor him, and he rewards your faithfulness. David found this out in his life. Can you imagine all the nights out there in the open starry sky after he had just beat off a bear and, and slayed a lion and, and laid there and wondered, God, does anyone see that I'm brave? Does anyone see that I'm courageous? Does anyone see that I believe in you? You see, faithfulness in the small produces power in the big. And we see that later in David's life. You see, you may think God doesn't see your faithful steps of obscur obscurity, but he does. Think for a moment how David got selected to fight Goliath, if you don't believe me. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's the story of, of Saul and the story of Samuel and Goliath and the selection of who would fight him. Samuel said, God has chosen one man to fight Goliath. And so Jesse, the dad, what's he do? He looks through his lineage of sons. And in his mind, there's the one that's the bravest. There's the one that's most faithful. There's the one of all my sons that should fight Goliath. And so what does he do? He sends his strongest, which he believes most faithful, best son out, Eliab. The text says he's good looking and tall. He commands the presence. Yet God says, no. Samuel says, no, that's not the one. So you just have this parade of sons. Next, Abinadab comes out. He probably didn't get chosen because no one could pronounce his name, but he came out. There he was, and, and God says, no, through Samuel. And so Jesse's like, like, like Samuel, I'm bringing my best. So he parades out seven, or he brings out Shema next. And the Lord didn't choose him, and then he, the rest of the sons. And one by one, they come out and kind of stand there, and Samuel says, no, 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 no. And can you picture Jesse? It's like, you said that one of my sons is going to fight Goliath. And one by one, he, he brought him out, best to worst. And then Samuel says, what does he say to Jesse in 1 Samuel 16? Here's what he said. He says, are all your sons here? What about the youngest? The Hebrew word for youngest in the text means runt. Bring out the runt. You know what Jesse's response? Yeah, there's one left. You know what he said? But, you know, he's taking care of the sheep. That's what the text says. You see, that minuscule job description, that job that no one wanted, his own dad said, he's not worthy to stand here because he's just a shepherd boy. Even his own dad didn't consider him as an option. Samuel says this, and I love what Samuel says, and it's almost like he's being uh, precarious about it. He says, get him, and we will not sit down until he gets here. In other words, we're standing up till you bring him back. So they go out to David in the field, and what is he doing? He's taking care of sheep. In his obscurity, he's being faithful. And this was David's response when the servant came to him. Here's what he said. Here's what David's words were to fight Goliath. He said, who will watch the sheep? And the text says, arise, oh, anointed one, 
for this is he. David was recognized for being a shepherd in obscurity. God saw his faithfulness and he wanted him because he understood that this shepherd was fearless, that this shepherd was brave, that this shepherd trusted in his shepherd. That's the kind of warrior he wanted on the front lines against a nine-foot giant. The text says this, that not only does he, we, do we lack nothing, he's my shepherd, it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. What's it mean he makes me lie down in green pastures? There's, there's reasons that sheep won't lie down. And if you've ever been a sheep farmer, you would know this. There are four reasons a sheep won't lie down. One is because they're timid. They will not lie down if they are afraid. Secondly, it's because they're social. They won't lie down if there's friction, if they're not getting along. Thirdly, if flies and parasites trouble them, they won't lie down. Fourthly, if they are anxious about food or hungry, they won't lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd dealt with their fear, their friction, their flies, and their famine. That's what he does for us. He gives us rest even though those things want to overwhelm us. Now here's the real kicker in this text. Our shepherd says he does this for his name's sake. You see, the character of God cannot ever fail. The promises of God cannot ever fail. And if he promises something, hear me out, he will follow through because his name is at stake. While we bat 300 in baseball and it's a good week with following through, God has yet to make an out. <laughs> Consider that for a second. He's 10 for 10. He's, he's 1,000 for 1,000. He's a bazillion for bazillion. God has never, never not followed through. He is good. He will provide a way out of the mess we are in. You can count on him because his name is at stake and he is a perfect God. The great shepherd will never fall short on his promises because all he knows is perfectness. Amen? And that's our shepherd. And if it says he will guide you, if it says he will make you, and if it says that he will restore and refresh Bank on it. Our God has never made an out. He is a good shepherd. His name is at stake. You can see David. He's just building love, layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And then he says this. He says this in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no what? What's the text say? evil for you are what with me your rod and your staff they comfort me even though he walked through some dark valleys in the winter time as the snow would begin to melt off of the hillsides 
and he would try to get them to the green pastures. Predators would be along the side because they knew the trackings of sheep and animals. And so as they made their way down the treacherous hilly side, mountain sides, predators would be along the way. And while they made it, it says the shepherd was there with the rod and the staff ready to beat off the predators. And he says, even though they walk through these dark valleys, God, our shepherd, is there, and David, the shepherd, was there. You see, David understood this. Why? Because Saul wanted to kill him at a point in his life. And he spent many treacherous nights in dark valleys protecting his own sheep, killing bears and lions. I've said this on many occasions, and I said it in June at my stepfather's funeral. My family was a Mack truck family. Hagerstown, major employment was Mack trucks. My dad and my stepfather both retired from Mack trucks in Hagerstown, Maryland. And so it wasn't uncommon for us to have stuffed Mack truck or Mack, Mackie dogs. And my dad, even when our kids were small, would make a, a, a bulldog sound. And so we spent many, many times at Mack truck for family gatherings. They fed us, and, and we were familiar with their trucks. And even to this day, when I see a Mack truck, I think of my dad and my stepdad. And I said this at my stepfather's funeral because the room was filled with people who had been employed by Mack trucks. And I said this as I sat there, and I, I've asked this question as I've asked many, many times, and you might have heard it. I asked this question, would you rather be run over by the shadow of a Mack truck or Mack truck itself. The room chuckled and they all said, the shadow. And I said, yes, Jesus took the brunt of the Mack truck for us and he died on the cross. So we have no fear of the valley of the shadow of death because it's just a shadow. A shadow will never hurt you. We have no reason to fear evil because death itself is a promotion to heaven. When you have no fear of death, you live differently. Not recklessly, but relentlessly. And there's a, 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 a good difference there. So how is it possible to live without fear? You know how? It's when we know who we are and who is with us. <laughs> Through the years, maybe you've had this question asked, and I've had it asked me, Pastor Jim, why is it that you don't fret and worry? Pastor Jim, why are you so positive? Pastor Jim, why do you believe that God can do the impossible? Why, why, why don't you fear evil? Why, wh wh what is it about it? Because here's why. My shepherd is with me. And he's with you. And when you know he's with you, you live and think differently. We have no reason to fear because our great shepherd is not bound by human limitations. We're familiar with shepherd and often we get it confused and we only see one side and probably in some form or some fashion you probably have seen this photo of Jesus, the great shepherd. You probably have noticed it and it's a beautiful picture of the children sitting on his lap and the flowing white robe and you see this gentleness and kindness that Jesus had and you don't see, there's, like, there's not a speck of dirt on the robe. It's as if he just kind of just floats through everywhere. 
Jesus has entered, here he is. But there's this other side of Jesus. He is a shepherd. Shepherds are brave and strong and warriors. They fight and stand against evil. And listen to me, no one can stand against our God. Even Satan himself. As we paint this picture, yes, he's tender, but he is a warrior as a shepherd. Why would a shepherd need a rod? A rod was about three foot long, and it was a piece of wood, and they would take the top end of the wood, and they would shape it into the size of a ball. And the shepherd would literally, if animals came, would beat them off, and they would lay at night, and, 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 and so they would take the sheep, and they would find a rock area that was U-shaped, and they would build some more rocks. And literally, the shepherd would lie down between this, an open spot where his body could be, literally on the ground, so that the sheep were protected, and the only way out was for them to walk through the gate or over the gate. He became the gate for them to be protected. And so if a lion or bear came and met at the gate, the shepherd would stand off and fend it off. That's why God called David to fight Goliath. He was fearless. Why was he fearless? Because he knew his shepherd was with him. When you know no one can stand against your God and your father is a good God that can do anything and that you lack nothing, you live differently. As a kid, as a five-year-old kid, by God's grace, I was given a stepfather who loved me dearly, and I became his son. I can recall times when the car would break down, our country squire Ford station wagons with the seats that faced each other, and no seat belts, and we survived. I can recall those times when it would break down along the side of the road. And I remember as a kid thinking, we're okay, because Andy will fix it. There's no problem, dad is here. And there wasn't fretting or worrying on me, we just, we kind of stood along the side of the road and enjoyed it. And we knew that as long as Andy was there, dad was there, he would fix it. I remember when my bike would lose its chain in the early days before he taught me how to put it on. And, I, and, and, and so we had used bikes and I'd bring it back and he would be at Mack Trucks working, had to wait till he would come home. I knew if my dad could get my bike, he would fix it and I would be okay. I knew when I mowed grass as a seven-year-old in the riding mower and, and he hooked up two two-by-fours on the pedal so I could reach it and slid the seat the whole way up and I mowed grass as a seven and eight-year-old. I knew when I ran over something I wasn't supposed to run over and the blade was floppy. I knew that if Andy could get to the mower, he would fix it because my dad could do anything. I remember one time deer hunting as a 15-year-old. I got separated from my stepfather in the woods. And he told me, he said, Jim, don't move. If anything happens, you stay. And it was a long day, and I, I ventured off, and I knew if, if I just stood there long enough and stayed there long enough, and even though it was two hours after sunset, that my dad would find me because my dad was a good shepherd. 
as long as my father was with me, I would be okay. Because the mere fact that he was there brought me comfort. The great shepherd comforts us in ways like no other father can, amen? He is on duty 24-7. The shepherd knows his sheep. You can read in John and he understands their voice. I'm always, always struck by that at baseball games. Our children played sports and so we would go to the ball diamond and have you ever noticed when, 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 when dad's in the stand and a kid says, dad, and every dad goes, <laughs> but you know the voice of your kids. And when we cry out, the great shepherd hears our voice and responds. The psalm is a layer and layer of love, 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 love. And confidence grows as I read it and it ministers to my heart. And then above all that, he says this. He says in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Like, what does that mean? Before I talk about the table that he presents, you anoint my head with oil. Why would a shepherd anoint a sheep's head with oil? Well, the reason they did it, they would take the head and they would take oils and they would wrap and wipe down the body of the sheep, specifically its head and throat area, because when animals came to attack, they tried to go after the juggler. And so what happened was that these vipers and snakes and animals, when they would try to grab a hold of the sheep, they would slip off. It was a protective shield. He said, you anoint my head with all. When the enemy comes after us, with all his targets and lies and schemes, they just slip away. Because our shepherd is a great shepherd. Then he says, my cup overflows. What is that? Like, it's not oil, by the way, it's water. If you were a shepherd during this time, there weren't streams in the desert. And so they would dig these wells by hand, some of them 100, 200 feet deep. And the shepherd would find them and be familiar with where they were at. And there would be a rope on a bucket and a pulley system, and literally he would bring his sheep over and bucket by bucket he would lower it. And then there would be this, this basin area that was created with rocks and, and, and uh, smooth rocks. He would take the bucket and pour it into this basin area and the sheep would come and they would drink and their thirst would be, that, would be t that needed to be quenched was taken care of. And it says not only did for hours and hours and hours and hours, shepherds, that's what they would do to feed and water their sheep. And it says, my cup overflowed. Like it kept coming and coming. It was an unending well. God's provision for us, listen, there is no stopping what he can do. He doesn't say, oh, I ran out of that. No, our God's is not limited in his resources for us. Then he says this passage, in this passage, he says, you Prepare for me in the presence of my enemies. Look, look what he says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the middle of your conflict. Right in the middle of your stressor. Right in the middle of cancer. Right in the middle of seemingly hopelessness. Right in the middle of this criticism from an enemy. 
right in the middle of the voices of the people who gave up on you, said you would never amount to anything. Right in the middle of your enemy who constantly comes after you on social media, right in the middle of that person who, who is just after you, right in the middle of that, it says that God prepares a table. God sits with you and tells everyone that's within seating distance, this is my son and my daughter. And they have to watch you sit with the king of kings and lord of lords in their presence. Think about this for a second. He says, you can't touch them because I am with them. You see, it's not about who's at the table, but who you're at the table with. Well, you're seated there in the presence of your enemies and you want to smoke them. (laughs) He reminds you of whose team that you're on. In front of us here is this table that I want to draw this imagery home. The text says this. The text says, in the middle of your enemies, for sake of illustration, you're all my enemies. Like, I'm outnumbered today. (laughs) The text says that God prepares a table and he says, Jim, Sit down. So you sit down. It's like, holy cow, I'm eating good all three services today. Look at here. He says, take and eat. Mm, strawberries are awesome. And so what do you want to do? You want to serve up some water. And so you want to give some to the great shepherd. See here, here. Jesus he says, I don't need water. I'm the living water. <laughs> See here, here, take some bread. Jesus, take some bread. Like, eat some bread. Here, Jesus, take bread. I'm the bread of life. Take it yourself. And so you have all this good food. Look, oh my goodness, look at this Danish for crying out loud. By the way, three times today I get to take a bite of it. And you know what? I'm going to. It's good. But in the middle of the cancer, in the middle of your enemy, in the middle of the people who gave up on you, in the middle of that stressor, in the middle of that doctor's report, Jesus sits at a table and no one can touch you because the king of kings and lord of lords is seated with you. It's not what's at the table or on the table. It's who's with you. And while they might want to, na, 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 hey, 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 what? Goodbye. This is our position. Rich, Richard, Richard, come here a second. I won't give you a chance to sit here, brother. It's for you too, man. Come have a seat. Take a seat. God's doing this for you. Look, how's it feel to sit here, bro? Pretty awesome. Here, have a strawberry. Come on, go ahead, dig in. Come on, eat it, eat it. Come on. Take us. Come on, cheese soup. Come on, we're having good. Come on, piece of ham too. Come on, just dig it. Come on, come on, come on. Just take a roll too. Come on, go eat it. I know Dar feeds you good, but this is good here, isn't it? (laughs) In the middle of all your enemies, Richard, God sits with you. I got you, bro. There's no report that's going to come against you. There's no enemy that can stand against you. There's no word from a doctor that can stand against you because God, the shepherd, sits with you. This weekend in Western Maryland on our men's retreat, 
I tried my hardest to drive this point home. So in one of our sessions, I reminded our men that our feet dangle with Jesus' feet. And in doing so, and then I said, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies positionally. And then I said, when God looks at you, he sees you covered with his righteousness, which means we get the checkered flag. We won. And so when God looks down, yeah, move your glasses, Richard. Put them back on. Come on, put them back on there. When God looks down at us, not only are we at the table, listen, we're on the winning team, covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Take your food with you, Richard. Listen to me, Grace. Every, keep the cape on, bro. Keep it on. Every single one of us, that's our position with the great shepherd. Amen? Then he says this, it's like, no wonder I love this psalm. <laughs> then he says this, I mean, what else could he say? And he says this in verse six. Surely your goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Listen, this word follow kind of gets lost in the English in the Hebrew, here's what this word means. It means to relentlessly pursue. His mercy, his love, his grace relentlessly pursues us. He's on a 24-7 chase after us. You can't get away from it. It's not like, oh, I guess I'll come behind. Where are you going today? No, it's where are we going? And the truth is, before you got up and I got up today, he was already standing at the finish line of your day, cheering you on with the goodness and mercy and grace and forgiveness that only he can offer. In other words, you can't run from him. His Garmin watch is perfect. He's not lagging behind. When you wake up tomorrow, God has already been there and working your day out for good. Amen? Love and goodness and mercy and forgiveness awaits you. Sheep do dumb things, correct? Amen? <laughs> we are stubborn. We want to wander away. We end up in places sometimes far from God. But my shepherd is the shepherd, and on my heels and on the heels of your wayward kids and your wayward husband and your wayward wife and your wayward friend is the relentless pursuit of the good shepherd with love and grace and mercy. Love has drawn back more wonders and softened more hard hearts than this world has ever known. Why? Because he's a loving shepherd. The incarnation ought to be proof enough that Jesus loves us and doesn't shy away from our sin. It's not like he's going to be shocked when we do dumb things. He's already died for him. From the foundation of the world, he was slain. At the end of your worst moment and my worst moment, think about this. Seated in the presence of our enemies who watched us fail, 
are the arms of love and grace and mercy who say, I love you. That's who our shepherd is. Amen? The goodness of God will follow us not just on our good days, but all the days of our life. He wraps it up with that reminder. We will be with him forever, not just in heaven, but every day. David is not just referring to a place, but to a person. God is with us. He is the great shepherd. Oh, God, we're so grateful. I pray, God, that you'll use these words which have been inscripturated for a few thousand years. I pray when we wander away or we wonder if you see us or if we're getting beat down by enemies and we wonder if we'll ever get restitution for being faithful, that we'll go back visually to this table and remind ourselves that we're seated with you. You are a good, good father. And because of your goodness, we live we continue and we reflect your ways. Help us, God. Let us not be overcome with evil. Let us not fret and worry and, and become bewildered. But let us remember that the Lord is a good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.